Welcome to the Illuminate Faith Podcast. My name is Dave Exley. Isaac Mundy here. And I'm Doug Peck. And we are here live at Youth Forum at Pierce Williams United Church Center. Lots of enthusiasm. So we're doing a workshop here. We've got a live audience uh, just like we had last year. Excited to be back here for our second annual trip. And hopefully each year we keep coming back here and doing episodes. Uh, Before we get into things, there might be questions from folks, our listeners, about what Youth Forum is. And uh, so uh, we've got Matt who's going to come up here and tell us a little bit about Youth Forum and give us the scoop on what it is other than a place where you don't get much sleep at all. Absolutely. We don't get at all any sleep. But one thing we do get is friendship and eventually family. A bunch of strangers come together for a weekend of games, enthusiastic worship, and just reflective time on ourselves and learning about who we are as a person of faith, as just a person in life, as well as somebody who can benefit from learning more about their community. And so, yeah, it's a great place where we come together, absolutely no sleep, and high energy. Right, guys? I like it, Matt. You're playing to the crowd as well here. (laughs) And one other exciting part is with us uh, today, with you this weekend, is the Right Reverend Jordan Cantwell, moderator of the United Church of Canada. We're so glad that you're with us, Jordan. Are you getting any sleep? I am, but I'm not staying at the camp here. (laughs) (laughs) One question that we had that I thought might be helpful, too, is that, you know, we've heard about Youth Forum a little bit. I know one question that I often hear from people who are either new to the church or maybe have been involved in the church for a long period of time is, what does the moderator do? (laughs) What is your job? So maybe you can just sort of share briefly, what, what does a moderator do? Awesome. Well, uh, I get this question a lot, which uh, tells me that a lot of people really don't know what a moderator is or does. So one of the ways that I describe it uh, is that, you know, every congregation has a minister or most congregations have somebody in, in a sort of spiritual leadership role for the congregation, the ministry. Well, the moderator is that spiritual leader for the United Church of Canada. So the minister... To the whole church. My official job description, in addition to chairing meetings of the General Council Executive, is to quicken the hearts of the faithful. Mm. And I think that's about the best job description I've ever had. Uh, and so really what I do is I just um, encourage storytelling and uh, try in a variety of ways to reconnect folks with the stories of their faith, with that which has sparked in them already, uh, and to fan that flame a little bit, to quicken, to bring to life the the faith that is already amongst us, and to remind us of why it is that we, um, why we are followers of Jesus. I feel my heart quickening already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so glad that you're here with us. And, and uh, I wondered whether you might be able to share just a brief snapshot. You've been moderator now for a year and a half. Is that right? 
Um, highlights from the past year and a half, if wow. you can even just name a couple of them, because I know you've been doing quite a bit. Absolutely. Uh, yes, there have been a lot of highlights. Um, certainly one of the highlights has been uh, my visits into Indigenous communities. Uh, I've made that a priority. Uh, so I've, I wrote to all of the Indigenous communities uh, where we have congregations and said I would welcome an invitation and I would give that high priority and uh, many, many communities have responded, and so I've had lots of opportunities to go into some very remote communities in, in northern parts of our country, um, all over the place, really. And I, I, am, I am heartbroken by some of the suffering that it, and the, uh, the injustices that people live with. I am also absolutely astounded and inspired by the hope and the resilience of people and by the the creativity that people bring to life and and bring to the challenges that are in front of them so that has been incredibly life-giving and and it's broken me open and it's opened my my mind as well as my eyes um i've i've had the privilege of doing some international travel uh which has been just an incredible gift and it Always I find um, when I travel internationally, it helps me to come back to my own context with new eyes to see things that were previously invisible to me and to reflect on my own situation and our church uh, through a new lens or a broader lens. And so it's such a gift to have that connection and also to see that happen um, as we share stories from our context with folks overseas and they're like, Ha, this shines a light for us. So it's so so important those global connections that we have and that's been a, a treasure. And I could go on and on and on, but you probably don't want me to. Um suffice it to say that this moderator gig is such a blessing, such a privilege and a blessing, and I am so grateful for it. Thank you. We could listen to you go on and on and on, <laughs> but we'll keep moving here. <laughs> Uh, Jordan, one one thing that I'd like to ask you, and uh, I remember reading your bio before you were elected at uh, at, at the General Assembly, and and um, something that that you listed as uh, as a blessing in your life was this sense of dual faith identity. Growing up with a sense of dual faith identity, I think we we see that more and more as Canada matures as a country. Uh, this you know people have a lot of dual citizenship, dual identity as uh, from from various places in the world not just Canada but but that's true of many people's faith also and um, could, could you talk about uh, that that sense of a blessing that that growing up not just United Church but also Roman Catholic is for you and, and your leadership and, and how that can be a blessing for the future of, of the church in Canada sure I actually did not grow up in the United Church at all uh, my father was Roman Catholic and my mother was Methodist we lived in the States um, and so I had both of those uh, in my background before we moved to Canada. And then when we moved to Canada, we tried out a bunch of different churches. Um, so I went to the Roman Catholic Church, went to the Presbyterian Church for a while. And then we finally settled into the Anglican Church, which is actually the church that I feel like I grew up in. But I went to the Roman Catholic school system. So I was also steeped in that tradition. Um, I was confirmed in the Anglican Church as well. So... Uh, then I left entirely. I left church altogether. And actually, that's an important part of, of that faith story, too, because in the time that I wasn't in any 
church tradition, I was exploring other faith traditions and other um, uh, other other ways of celebrating and honoring and knowing God. Uh, all of that has been an incredible gift. And then when I made my way back to church, um, it was to the United Church, and and I. Th- for very particular reasons, I mean, the United Church is a church that feels like home for me. It is, it is uh, where I feel like I can bring my whole self and have my whole self honored and the gifts that I have to bring um, welcomed. But I also bring with me that the awareness of and the experience of those other traditions that have enriched me, that that help me to see um, some some parts of our united church that could use some enhancing you know and rather than seeing uh different denominations and and even different faiths as competitive or like one one must be right and therefore the others not right or this way of doing it is a good way which makes the other ways less good um i think that each of the traditions has some tremendous wisdom and some particular ways of, of expressing faith that are, are life-giving and that shine a different kind of light or open a, another window. And so by experiencing all of those, I think it's given me a real appreciation for the gifts of each tradition. And rather than sort of saying, well, now I'm United Church, so this is the way I do it, it's like, well, I am United Church and I'm super happy to be united. This is where I belong. But I love the the liturgy in the Anglican Church. And there is the, the respect for the sacraments that I learned from the Roman Catholic Church. Like that lives in me. And 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 all of those inform my faith and and help me to look with different eyes on those differences. Um and, and see the beauty and see the truth and the, the particular perspective that maybe could enhance my own when I look at difference in another tradition. And, and I think it's made me um, more open to looking at traditions that I, are far outside of my experience. And before leaping to judgment about what something means when it's really different from how I do it, um, to wonder about it, to wonder what that means for somebody for whom that has meaning. You know, thinking about being part of different communities and honoring those different things, it makes me think of um, some of the message that we've been looking at over this weekend already in terms of coming as you are here at Youth Forum. And even this morning, uh, we really appreciated this talk about how do we let go of labels as individuals and and how do we um i i just really appreciated how you were talking about like ultimately that reality of who we are as being children of god in terms of thinking about um, who we are as a denomination do you feel like we have either particular gifts or challenges in terms of letting go of labels um, as we kind of continue on this road of faith that's a great question uh, I, I think that as a denomination, we do have particular gifts, and sometimes um, we cling so tightly to those gifts that we know that we bring that it um, impedes our ability to see the gifts that others bring. And so 
Um, I think that one of the labels that we have put on ourselves uh, and wear very proudly is that we are a justice-seeking church. That, in fact, to be United Church is to uh, take the, the gospel and take social justice and to just weave them together in such a way that, that you cannot see where one begins and one ends because they are completely consistent and coherent with one another. That's a, a deep and profound truth that I think we know and celebrate as the United Church. But because we have called ourselves the Justice Church, it kind of makes us wonder if that means other churches aren't so justice-y. Or if they have, if they have a, an opinion, a faith conviction that differs from ours on an issue that is a justice issue, well, clearly the justice church has got that right, mm -hmm. which means y'all have that wrong. Um, and, and we're just like maybe that much better than them. And I, I know that this attitude lives in me and I know this attitude lives in our church and it would be a really great one to shed. Amen. So we're going to take some audience questions here just for a moment. Is that okay, Jordan? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So we have, uh, and just tell us your name and you can tell us where you're from and, uh, and then just ask the question and uh, Jordan will have a response for you. Hello. Um, my name's Buck and I'm from London, Ontario. And um, Jordan, a question I have for you is, um, what's your favorite line from the new creed? Ah, great. Uh, I love the new creed and... Uh, there, I have so many favorites in there, but when I think about it, I think the line that speaks to me most strongly is, um, and is creating. So it says, we believe in God who has created and is creating. Because if God is still creating, that, that has lots of implications. But the biggest implication is that it's not done. It's not like the whole thing was put together and now it's sort of just deteriorating as things do over time or it's fixed and, and everything is set and there's no changing it. God is still at work. That means God's still creating me too. Like I'm a work in progress and creation is a work in progress and human relationships are a work in progress and that gives me a tremendous amount of hope because the end of the story hasn't been written yet. Awesome. We have another question, and uh, so we'll invite that person to uh, to come up and uh, introduce themselves. Hi, my name's Hannah. I'm from Sarnia. Uh, my question for you is, what was the last thing that you did that um, required courage? Mm. Wow, good question. Um, I find every day requires courage, but the... The last thing that where I, I found my heart in my throat because I just didn't know if I, if I had it in me to do what I was being asked to do is when I was up in Oxford House, which is in northern Manitoba. And the, the plan that had been organized for me included going to the junior high and high school to talk with some students there. And uh, what I knew and was confirmed for me on our way over there is that a number of students over the last six weeks from this school had killed themselves. And I thought, I haven't got anything worth saying. I, I have nothing adequate 
that I can possibly say to these young people. I can't tell them it's going to get better. I don't know that it is going to get better for them. I, I can't even begin to understand what they are living with or the kind of grief that is in their communities or in the grief that is in their hearts. Uh, and so how can I say anything to them? And what am I doing here? So I was scared. I was really scared. First of all, that I would just demonstrate how completely and utterly inadequate I am. But also that I might say something that was just totally disrespectful of their truth and their reality. Um, and I didn't want to do that. I, I thought they don't need any more hurt. So as I was sitting there and, I, and, and preparing and praying for some kind of wisdom... I was uh, reminded, again, of the wisdom of humility, that in fact it, it is true. I, I don't have anything to fix this situation for them. And so all I had to offer them is the truth that I hold firmly to, which is the truth I shared with all y'all earlier today, which is that each and every one of us matters. Each and every one of you of them, of us, is a child of God and is needed and is loved. And while there are hurts that abound and there are hurts far deeper than I can even dream of in people's lives, nothing, nothing, nothing can cause us to be less than what God knows us to be, which is sacred and necessary. And so if you are necessary, then please, please stay in the world because we need you. That's all I had to say. Thank you for sharing that. And that was a great question. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got another one. I'm Tavin from London, Ontario. And my question today is, what would you bring during a zombie apocalypse? <laughs> <laughs> what would I bring during the zombie apocalypse? Well, you know, I think we're in a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I, I, I think we're living it right now because and I am not a zombie aficionado, so I don't really know all the ins and outs. But my impression is that zombies are those that sort of appear alive but are kind of dead. They're the walking dead. And and the effect that they have on others is to suck others into their living deadness. And I, I think there are zombies at work in our world trying to lure us, uh, suck us, drag us into the illusion that life is miserable, that the world is falling apart, that the church is dying, that you, you name it, anything that sucks the hope and the life out of us, I think is zombie. And so I bump into zombies in myself and out on the streets. And so I was thinking, how, how would I fight a zombie? 
And I think what I would have to bring to the zombie apocalypse in which I find myself are stories. I think stories, because if zombies are like those who are living but are not living because they're just, they're living death. They're focused on death. They, they, they believe in the power of death as stronger than the power of life and of love. Then it's the stories that, that refute that truth that can help wake them up and, and, and keep us alert and attentive to the fact that actually... The story of our faith tells us that even when death does its worst, God's got another chapter. That there's life and there is love and that those are more powerful. They don't eliminate the reality of death. They just beat it. They just beat it. And, and resurrection, which is the antidote to zombies... Resurrection is a reality that is among us today, all the time. And we have a choice. We can become zombies who live death, or we become Easter people who live resurrection. And it's the stories of our faith that help us to be an Easter people. I was going to say meat cleaver, so that's a way better answer than... <laughs> Put you to shame. Put you to shame. I really like that way more. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Okay, and a meat cleaver, because that's not a bad idea. Stories and a meat cleaver. Okay, yes. <laughs> Jordan, I'm wondering about, uh, you know, obviously there are, there's the reality of, of uh, being a part of a, a denomination and uh, there's the reality of like that there, there are these national things that we have to attend to, uh, but there are also these local things. You know, we have uh, kind of a foot in both camps and as a church that is restructuring and thinking about things, you know, one of the things that I've noticed working on both sides of the border is that it seems uh, that the reality is here in Canada, it's much more small. It's it's easier to connect uh, nationally uh, and to build an identity that way. But I also sense that there's a, a need to connect locally as well. And so as we head into towards perhaps a new reality as the church, uh, where do you see as someone who's moved from a, a, a particular context, a, a neighborhood kind of community context to a national reality with your position, um, how do we balance that out? Mm. Mm-hmm. Good question. Uh, I think both are really necessary, and and they inform one another. So if if uh, if all I'm doing is looking globally and or, or nationally, uh, I mean, there's there's much to enrich. But if if I can't ground that in my my immediate local context. Um, it's it's pretty hard to connect it to people's lives. It's pretty hard to to live it in a daily kind of way. But if as as congregations and communities of faith, um, we can't see beyond our own sort of walls or boundaries or you know like my mother used to say, if you can't see beyond the end of your own nose, um, then then our our perception of the world gets really small. And our, we become limited in our understanding of how God works 
and um, what the Spirit might be calling us to. So I'll give you an... No, as soon as I start giving examples, never mind. I will be here all day. But... (laughs) But the global has to inform the local, but the local has to be the place where, where we practice the wisdom that we glean. We need a vision of ourselves. We also need to know ourselves connected to something bigger than ourselves because a lot of the local congregations are struggling. They're struggling with, you know, like I, I serve a rural congregation in Saskatchewan, and a lot of our rural congregations, a lot of our congregations are closing, but a lot of rural ones are, and they're feeling like, oh, how are we failing? Well, we're not failing. The rural areas are being depopulated, not just the churches, the communities. They're disappearing. We're, we're moving into cities. So, like, no kidding, the churches are shrinking. That's not a failure. That is simply a social reality. There aren't as many people there. And then you toss secularization and all kinds and hockey and whatever else in on top of it. And, like, yeah, okay, so our numbers are smaller. If that's all I can see. And... And that's my whole sense of church. Then I, uh, then it feels pretty hopeless. It feels pretty small. Like we can be doing amazing ministry, but there's a really good chance that numbers-wise, we're not going to grow. We can grow in faith, but we're not going to grow in numbers. But as soon as I understand that, actually, a what I'm experiencing is part of a, a much larger picture. And we're not the only ones going through this. And what's happening in this immediate context is not the whole story of the, the life of Christian faith in Canada and certainly not in the world. In fact, Christianity is growing exponentially on a global scale. It's growing. It's alive. It's thriving. We need to know that, to see that there is hope. And also we need to be in contact with the, the stories that we share with one another when we get together at, at conference, at general council, anywhere where we meet, is, is, are inspiring. Those stories help us see beyond the limits of, of what we in our own local context could imagine and start to, well, start to imagine something new. Start to say, well, hold on, if they're doing that there, then maybe we could do something like, well, wait a minute, we never even thought of, oh yeah. So we absolutely need each other. We need each other across this church. We need each other across denominations. We need to have a a bigger vision. And that is how our hope is sustained and how we can understand our reality within a much larger context. Thank you. Oh, wait, one more thing to say. Okay. And we have to know what our local context is and respond to it. Simply saying, we are the church, why aren't people coming, isn't enough. We need to say, we are a church in the midst of a community. What are the needs and hopes and dreams of this community? And how can we be part of that? And what do we have to bring to that? And how does our faith speak to that? That's what it is to be a community church. Amen. I think you've touched on this a little bit here, but one of the questions that I had was, uh, you know, obviously we've got people who listen to the podcast, who are ministers, who are preaching regularly. We're coming into kind of an important time in the life of the church, heading into Easter. <laughs> what, uh, what, 
what would you want to hear proclaimed within uh, our churches on Easter Sunday, 2017? Mm. Yeah, Easter you know, we, we have a tendency to celebrate Easter like it's supposed to be this great big party, like everything's supposed to be daffodils and do we do lilies at Easter too? I don't, I'm allergic to them, so I always make them go elsewhere, but you know, like it's, and it's just supposed to be one giant hallelujah. And a lot of us aren't feeling like a giant hallelujah for all kinds of reasons, many of which I just named, right? Um, and so then we can feel like either that Easter becomes this sort of fake little moment where we pretend everything's okay, or it's really hard, you know, we feel like we're out of sync. But the gospel stories, all four of the gospel stories that talk about the empty tomb and the encounters with the risen Christ, when people encountered that, they didn't start hollering hallelujah and throw a party. They were terrified. They were terrified. They were confused. They, they were hopeful and yet dared not hope. They often didn't know what to say and couldn't say anything. Some of them ran away. Some of them went off to tell and people didn't believe them. Like it was this really confusing, like what is going on here kind of moment. And I think resurrection is like that. Because the thing about resurrection is it happens following crucifixion. It follows death, and it happens when we are still in the throes of the horror of the loss. It happens when we are feeling like many of our people are feeling like this is the end. We had this great thing, and it's gone. And what are we supposed to do with ourselves? And then somebody, an angel, says, it's not over. He's alive. He, he's waiting for you to like get started. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I think we need to remember that's what resurrection feels like. It feels like, huh? It can't be. But maybe, maybe. What would happen? What would happen if I trusted that? Let's find out. Thank you, Jordan, for being with us. Let's hear it for the right Reverend Jordan Cantwell. It has been a privilege not only to, to be with you and to, and to have this conversation, but a privilege to be with all of these young people here. And so thank you. Give yourselves a round of applause. And, and, and do, you, do you get any time off over Easter? Do you have a chance to, <laughs> to be with family? And uh, when's, your, when's your next uh, day off? Uh, Monday. Oh, good. Ah. good. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you experience some resurrection after I'm sure what it will be a busy rest of the week here. And, and it looks like there's going to be some warmer weather coming in for you here uh, for the rest of the weekend here at Pierce Williams. And so blessings to you and uh, blessings to all of you out there as well. And uh, we hope that you'll catch us next time on the next episode of Illuminate Faith. Yeah. Woo